welcome to episode 19 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton, and we are coming to you after a Yusei Kikuchi start that not only the Blue Jays won, which, you know, there's been tons of numbers about their record in Kikuchi games compared to all other games, but he was absolutely fantastic and efficient um, in and when, you know, deep into the game, six innings is deep into a game, I think, in 2022. Basically, everything that you feared about a Kikuchi start in this consequential game did not come to pass. What what kind of stood out about uh, his performance for you, Stone? Uh, yeah, I mean, like you, like basically the overall line absolutely was the thing that stood out. Uh, I think you called it. You uh, the you know, the last time we talked about Kikuchi, you were, you were like, "Well, he, there was a chance. There's a chance that he could just be fine." And uh, and you know, maybe it's a thing where. You know, he had to get to the the depths that he got. I mean, and I don't want to talk about his struggles in the past tense because it's just one game. But uh, before he really started, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of giving up his own control over, you know, what they want him to do as opposed to what he wants to do. You know, he saw him shake off Gabriel Moreno a couple times. Um but you know there was more fastball in the in, in the first inning, I think at least, and, and you see, you, you know, I, I think you saw more of just what you want to see from Kikuchi, and maybe the, maybe it had to get that bad before he's like, okay, uh, what do you want me to do here? Because because uh, it, it was it was trending towards you know talk about the bullpen, talk about like phantom injury, like legitimately people were talking about that. So uh, he's he's staved that off for at least a little while, and I think that sort of jumps up too. Yeah, I mean, this is going to buy him some goodwill. His contract, you know, we talked about it before, his contract is always going to give him a little bit of leash. The fact the Blue Jays are in this wild card hunt but probably feel fairly comfortable about their playoff standing gives him a little bit of leash. But they did need to see an outing like this. And kind of what stood out to me about this outing in a weird way was how his command was still kind of funky. You know I mean? He was still spraying stuff around the zone. The slider was coming in high in places that it wasn't supposed to. And it kind of reminded me of the fact, I think we all needed to be reminded of the fact that his stuff is really potent. And the reason he has been struggling is because his command and and control, like those are two separate things. Um, But they've both been disastrous, you know, throughout June. And he doesn't need for them to be fantastic all of a sudden for him to be effective. And in this start, it seemed like he was just close enough to hitting his spots. He didn't necessarily hit his spots, but he was close enough to hitting his spots that, you know, a weakened Rays lineup, to be fair. Uh, But a lineup with some decent hitters really didn't know what to do with him. And the fastball, like you said, that was 51% of his pitches, which is an uptick from what we've seen, but he was really getting his whiffs with the other stuff, the slider, mm-hmm. uh, the changeup, which is is pretty nasty when it's going, but has rarely been going this season. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the stuff looked good. The stuff can always look good, but it was just closer, and it was good <laughs> enough. You know, A lot of guys who, if they threw sort of the way he threw tonight, would, would probably get hit around a little bit, but the talent is there. There's a reason why they gave him this big contract. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think I talked about it a lot. You know, the, it's rare velocity from the left side. Like, uh, like if you look at, you know, on fan graphs, you can go to the leaderboards and look at the left-handed pitchers and look at the guys who start and uh, sort by, you know, average fastball velocity. And, like, 
he's way, way up there. It's like Rodon and McClanahan and, and somebody else I'm forgetting. And then Kikuchi basically like, he, like, uh, you know, and it's unfair to talk about Robbie Ray. I mean, that's obviously the, the, the comparison, but I had that sort of feeling sometimes in Ray last year as well. Right. Where it's like, uh, he's not really hitting his spots, but it's close enough that, that that's all he needs. Like it doesn't get bashed around. It's yeah, like, I'm, 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 you know, last side with, that was perhaps the biggest thing with yeah. him is that they realized they didn't have to be quite so fine. Like he threw a bunch of fastballs right in the heart of the zone. And I, you know, I'm not saying that's recommended uh, for any <laughs> no. pitcher, but, but that's something Ray did do with some frequency and had some success with because his stuff was at that level. And Kikuchi's, you know, maybe, yeah, he's not quite what a 2021 Cy Young winner is, but there's some of the same components. Yeah, and and I, I didn't really keep track of it as the game went on. Did was he throwing the uh, he he got the cutter back like he was throwing the it wasn't the in between slider cutter. I, I I think I heard Joe Siddle talk about that earlier in the game. I didn't I don't have baseball savant up on my uh, screen at the moment, uh, but that's sort of interesting. You know they're clearly still tinkering with things. Uh, the pitch mix, you know, get it just getting him to do what uh, they think he needs to do. And, um, yeah, step in the right direction. I mean, like you say, banged up Ray's team. It's not, you know, but, you know, Wander Franco's there. There's, there, there's, there's a lot of good hitters, as you also say. Like, I, I, it's, it's as encouraging as it could be, even though, you know, <laughs> the, the monster that, that was the last month is still in the rear view very clearly. Yeah, I mean, this was within the range of outcomes for tonight's start, but it was at the very positive end. Uh, it's, you know, he wasn't going to go nine innings and shut them out, but like, this is about as good as he might've done. Like you said, the, the slider, um, did have sort of two pitches now. Like there was a couple, I'm looking at the savant now. And I remember a particular pitch that they threw up on the board that was 92 miles an hour classified as a slider, you know, more of a cutter. It's tough. You can split hairs there, but they were definitely experimenting with having multiple versions of that. It's hard to praise that when we praised him consolidating into one pitch before and you know, <laughs> yeah. that was the answer and now this is the answer. So I don't want to say with confidence like, okay, this is the thing that they figured out and that it's going to be all better. I don't know. Like Going into the season, the expectation for me was always that he's going to look really good sometimes and he's going to look awful sometimes. And at the end of the day, he's going to spit out a kind of okay final product, but he's never going to feel okay in any individual moment. And that is sort of what we've seen, although the lowest of the lows have probably been worse than I would have envisioned. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. I, it's hard to know what to, to, to make of it because, you know, we've got the, the pitching whisperer, Pete Walker, uh, around, which, you know, is sort of the, 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 the half-serious uh, reputation that he's got. Um, and as I've been saying, you know, anytime it comes up, you know, like, like Stephen Matz did not have a great first half last year. Like it took a while for the, the stuff that the Jays were trying to get him to do to take. And Robbie Ray was there for, you know, from August 2020 until, you know, through a whole spring training. And Kikuchi has just really not had that much time to work with these guys. And, you know, it's easy, it's easy to be like, okay, well, no, just throw it. There. It's like, I don't know, there's so much feel involved. There's so much repetition and, and getting everything down right that it, 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 it like you say, the lows were way lower than I would have expected, but I I don't think anybody should have expected it to just completely go smoothly and him hit the ground running with, you know, a button like reprogrammed with a bunch of changes and now he's just a different guy. Like that is a process. And so 
Uh, I don't know if that's really what was going on. You know, there, there seems, there seemed to be a lot of like red flags just in, uh, especially in the command and especially, you know, I mean, that last one, the, the strike zone plot is, uh, is terrifying if you're a batter. Like it's, uh, like the fastballs, you, you just did not know where they were going. And, and that happens, uh, a little too much, uh, and has especially over the month of June. Uh, and presumably will again. And it, it could be a really maddening experience going forward, but, uh, uh, but these ones do sort of ground you in like what the Blue Jays saw in this guy and why they think that they can work with him and why they saw you know value in, in going to a third year with him. Uh, and so you have to feel good about that. Yeah, it's going to be a different experience than most fifth starters that you get or fourth starters, however you want to characterize him. Uh, the potential is much higher. The, the valleys can be much lower. Uh, on the offensive side, you know, it was sort of a workmanlike performance, you might say, from the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, nine hits, three walks against two strikeouts is interesting, although, you know, you're facing Ryan Yarbrough, who isn't really um, that type of guy. Although his, yeah, his sort of Blue J- anti-Blue Jays magic seems to have worn off a little bit. Teoscar Hernandez is yeah. a guy who's always hit him well. But... Hernandez in general, I think partly because Kirk has risen so quickly and he's been given the cleanup spot. And on a lot of the broadcast, I, you know, even on tonight's broadcast, you have discussions of, oh, wow, like they're going to pitch to Vladdy here. Wow, Kirk's providing such good protection and that's a great move. And, you know, he's the guy with all the all-star votes. And I, I'm not trying to diminish Kirk in any way, but I feel like what that's done is made us um, be a little bit less bullish on what Teoscar is doing because... Uh, after he came back from his injury, you know, he wasn't himself. It seemed like he came back early, but for the last little bit, he's really been rolling. And now, you know, he's up to an 115 WRC plus on the season. That's not, you know, last year was 132. He's got a higher ceiling than that. But when you think about early in the year, how lost he was at the plate for extended periods of time, you know, in the last month or so, he's really been up there. You know, he's been at least as good as Vladdy. He's been, one of their top hitters, and it sometimes hasn't felt that way because, again, I think it's a consistent thing with him that he doesn't quite get – he gets a lot of vibes recognition, the smiles and the seeds, and today he had the really funny moment, you know, running for second base about a thousand times and getting out of breath. Um, he gets a lot of that attention, but in terms of his actual production, he seems to get overshadowed by Vladdy and some of the other guys, and I think that's happened recently because – you you take a look at what he's done lately, and it's pretty impressive. No, I think you're right. I mean, Vlad casts a very large shadow, and and now Alejandro Kirk does too. And I think you know you're you're absolutely right that the, the cleanup hitter spot for Kirk, which has worked extremely well, uh, and you know you can't not love that you know what that's doing, and and uh, it seems it still seems so bizarre. I mean, here I am trying to answer about Teoscar, and I'm, I'm I'm already going off on a tangent about Alejandro Kirk because he's just so magical and. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Teoscar has been great. I think part of it obviously was, uh, you know, he was gone for a bit at the start with the oblique injury and then his timing, it really took him a while to sort of get back and he wasn't hitting for power for a bit and, and it's just sort of started to come around. So I think that, you know, I think those things, we're, we're not yet at the halfway point. We're very close. Uh, so, but, but that's still like a third of what we've seen so far. And I think I understand why maybe people uh, don't, you know, it doesn't feel like he's having as great a year as, as he maybe is sort of, you know, Kevin Buccio is kind of in the same boat where we you know he's only been good for a month. Uh, but these are, you know, guys up and down the lineup who are, uh, who are really contributing, really producing. Uh, and no, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think Teoscar is in the all-star conversation this year, 
Um, but we've seen the ceiling. We've seen there's a, there's a ton to like with him as a hitter. Um, and yeah, tonight was a great example. You love to see it. The, uh, I don't know. Yeah, he is a fun guy. It's a, and it's a it's a wild it's a wild thing for him to be what like your fifth best offensive player. Like that's a guy who on a lot of teams would be number one or two. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's a two time defending silver slugger. Like a lot <laughs> a lot of teams don't have that guy kicking around. And I think part of I mean, it, these aren't necessarily good teams, but they're yeah. teams. They're still major league baseball teams that he would be the second or first best option on. Yeah, for sure. He's been kind of a top 15, 20 hitter over the last couple of years. And I think part of it is Blue Jays fans have witnessed sort of the bad with him. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of priors that had to get chipped away over time. And the other thing is the sort of stylistic component of it where he, you know, he strikes out a lot and he doesn't walk a ton and he puts up some bad looking at bats. And so when you're mm-hmm. watching Teoscar Hernandez day in, day out, you're going to see a lot of stuff that makes you kind of actively feel negatively about how he's doing as opposed to, I don't know, Vladdy. When Vladdy's not going, you're, you can say, oh, he's just hitting rockets on the ground and you know that that's going to turn and it's going to be fine. Whereas with Hernandez, he can look really, really lost at times. But you know, tonight was an example of that certainly not being the case. And it, it is funny because a lot of the same things could be said about Bo Bichette, but there just seems to be that... Um, I don't know. The fan base seems to have more allowances for Bichette. Like, you know, Bichette's struggling right now, for instance. Like, his season-long OPS is down to 720, but you never really get people complaining about Bichette's offense. No, it's true. And, I mean, he is a guy who kind of runs hot and cold a little bit. You know, he's not a Lourdes Gurriel, but... um... But no, I think that's right. Somebody pointed out to me, Kevin Biggio has a higher OPS than than Bichette right now, which, again, the the sample is small, but... uh... Uh, that just seems weird, and you definitely were not were not hearing about it. But I think people are sort of used to the fact that Bo will get himself out of this, out of this stuff. And he just, you know, even though you know, even though he's aggressive, even it's like he's taking those big cuts and those big hacks and looking ugly sometimes. But it it doesn't feel the same as Teoscar. It still feels like he's got more bat to ball skill. It still feels more like he can still shoot it the other way, uh, or or just control the bat a little bit better than Teoscar, who uh, who really is just you know taking big power swings uh, a little more often. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. Maybe just because he's a shortstop and the offensive bar is, uh, is lower. I mean, the, the guy that Tay Oscar replaced in right field is uh, uh, set the bar pretty high. Yeah. And to be cl- clear, I'm not trying to claim that, you know, Tay Oscar is a better player than Bo or anything like that. It just seems like yeah. Bo skates above criticism sometimes. And you get that in a sense because he's he's such an important building block for the franchise, a homegrown player, and everyone loves the hair and all that jazz. Um, but let's get to a caller here. We have Jonathan on the line before. Yeah, we do. Ranting about Bo's hair. <laughs> Dude, thanks, thanks so much. Hey, of course. Um, I haven't heard you talk much about Matt Gage and just early impressions. I. I'm feeling really good about him. I feel like it's a different look, the deception, and I, I don't know. There's something that inspires more confidence there in maybe seventh inning stuff than I see from a lot of the other guys in the bullpen early days. But just what's your take on him? Yeah, you know what I wrote. I wrote something about Gage uh, the other day that was that was sort of a similar thing, right? Like. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, when, Trent, when Trent Thornton went in in the seventh inning against Boston the other day, um, 
there were a couple lefties coming up. There was a way that the that the Red Sox could have uh, stacked the bottom of their order with lefties and, and been able to make it work positionally or got, got Ref Snyder out for a left-handed batter, got Jackie Bradley Jr. in, uh, that maybe made it less opportune for Gage to be the guy there. But he was the one of the, the very limited options in the bullpen uh, that I would have, you know, the only one that I would have like had a, a second thought about going to as opposed to uh, to Thornton, which is, man, what a what a drag to even think that, that that's, you know, the, the, the Sophie's choice here. I mean, I guess Sophie's choice is kind of a different thing. But <laughs> but the, the choice that you're, you're given, you have to choose one of these terrible, terrible, terrible options. Maybe that is a Sophie's choice. Uh, but yeah, I think Gage, you know, Gage doesn't have a lot of strikeout numbers as yet, but I think you're right that he's had some big outs. He looks, uh, he, it just feels like he's in control a little bit more. Maybe that's very anecdotal, but also his numbers in Buffalo, like the strikeouts were there and we haven't seen them show up yet in the big leagues, but that's a guy I'd like to maybe see get a little bit of run. Uh, you know, Thornton did all right today. You know, he was throwing his fastball harder than he, he usually does, which is, uh, which is a good thing. Get that get get that adrenaline flowing when you're going into those high leverage situations that I hope I never see him in again. Uh, but yeah, Gage could be something. I mean, I think that I'd like the bar to be set a lot higher. I'd like to see them, you know, go out and get a real guy. But uh, but for the time being, yeah, Nick, do you you have impressions on Matt Gage? Am I talking him up too much? Uh, maybe. I, you, know, <laughs> I mean, you know, in the, like you said, an ideal world for a competitive team, you're not really thinking about Matt Gage in the seventh. That being said, I, I don't think there's necessarily nothing here. He's an interesting guy because he's someone who was a starter for basically his whole minor league career. Uh, and then he went to Mexico. And when he came back, he was strictly a reliever. And since that time, he's put up really impressive numbers in the high minors. And when a guy doesn't throw hard and he doesn't have big time spin and realistically, you know, he's a fastball change up cutter guy mainly. So he doesn't even have the big tumbling breaking ball or the huge slide or anything. There's a lot of reason to be skeptical. Like it, it's a tool set that you need to see perform over an extended period of time before you have that confidence yeah. in it. But yeah. you know he's been good in the minor leagues. The other alternatives aren't great. Once in a while, you stumble into one of these found money guys. The Blue Jays seem to do it less often than other teams lately. But it wouldn't shock me if Gage is one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Oh hell yeah, man! Thank you so much for calling, Jonathan. And you know what, everybody else, you're uh, you're welcome to give us a call, chat about whatever you like. Um, big win, big win at the start of uh, a big series, uh, a ridiculous series of five games in four days. Um, good, good way to start. Good way to start, especially getting the Kikuchi game out of the way. I really can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, I mean, when you've got a Kikuchi win under your belt and then you've got four more games, he's not starting any of them, although Saturday could get interesting in terms of who takes the hill. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good spot to be in. One thing that, you know, Jonathan bringing up Matt Gage brings me to one of the things I wanted to do in today's episode was a little bit of a bullpen gut check at the worst possible time. <laughs> um, but this is an exercise we did last season when the bullpen was really struggling and costing this team games with a level of consistency. That feels like it's happening again. So I want to go down the roster. We're going to go scale of 1 to 10. How much do we trust every person in this bullpen uh, I mean, I think we'll we'll start with uh, Jordan Romano, and that should make things relatively easy, and then move on down <laughs> from there. So, Jordan Romano, Stoughton. Uh, like a seven and a half. <laughs> Oof. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 
Knights of, I know, I, I, I want, I was like, I could say eight, but eight would be the right thing to say, but I, I'm not always confident with him right at the moment. Uh, it's, uh, you're not sure what you're going to get from night in, night out. I mean, obviously, he's the guy they have to go to. He's the, he is the guy. Um, but I was thinking the other day when he was, it's like, uh, I don't know, think about good bullpens. Think about other, like, where, where would he be in the, in the pecking order on other teams? I'm not sure it's that it's all it's all that high. I think that's fair. I think that it's a situation where if you rewind, let's say, 20 years ago, and it's 2002, and he's putting up all these saves, and he has the occasional rough outing, you'd say, "Oh, this guy's one of the best closers in the league." Um, but now we don't necessarily think of things that way. And and if you did parachute him into a different bullpen, you know, maybe he would be a seventh or eighth guy. And he, you know, he can be better than that, absolutely. And he has been. Oh, for times. sure, yeah. Um, you know, 7.5, that feels about right. Like he has those velocity fluctuations. He's got the weird home road splits. I think he's the, exactly the type of closer who you feel good about when you have a two-run lead, but when you have a one-run lead, uh, you feel a little bit differently. And, yeah, I like that call. I'm gonna, I'll match you at, at 7.5. Right. And also, I think that's sort of like a right this moment. I mean, there were, you know, in April – it would have been much higher than that. And and it can change. But at the moment, just seeing a little bit too much to make me all that confident at the moment. I'd like to see sort of three outings in a row with the consistent 98. And then, then I could think about an eight. Um, okay. We're going down the line here. Tim Mesa. <sighs> I mean, I don't want to keep throwing point fives on here, but like if, if Ravana was at seven and a half for me, then Mesa at the moment has to be like a six. Like I, I like Tim Mesa. Why is he throwing all fastballs? I know he's I know he's better last night or whatever. Um, hasn't felt good lately. I mean, I mean maybe I, maybe I'm too down on this bullpen. Maybe all the negativity sucked me down. Uh, it, it's you know, it's not that bad. But also I you know at any given moment put Tim Mesa in the game. I'm not feeling super great about it. And he's one of the good ones. It's so contextual with him because you can't rely on him to miss bats necessarily, although he did do that fairly well last year. I'm actually going to match what I said with Romano, and I'm going to say 7.5. I'm higher on Mesa than you. He's still generating a ton of ground balls. I think that his biggest problem has been sort of, uh, you know, home run fly ball rate stuff, which can be tricky and kind of bounce around. He's also walked a bunch of guys recently, but I'm not convinced that's going to be a long-term problem because that really wasn't, uh, a yeah, it wasn't a long term problem for him in 2021. Since he kind of made the shift to the sinker baller approach, I think he's been a much better pitcher. And I see this as a rough patch as opposed to something where I have big long term concerns. Fair, fair. Okay, Adam Simber, our uh, closer for today. I mean, Adam Simber. I, Adam Simber is like an eight for me. In like the context of Adam Simber, like I know he's not going to miss bats. I, like if we're talking about extra innings with a runner on, maybe I maybe I don't feel quite the same about that. Um, but I don't feel that Adam Simber is going like Adam Simber is going to get like you know a flare and a dribbler through a hole or something like that. Which maybe you know that's not really better. I mean, what, you're there to get outs, but I don't know. I feel like he'll give you a chance. I, I feel good with Adam Simber uh, having the ball in his hand. Yeah, I'll, I'll back you. I'll say I'll say eight as well. Again, context is important. He's not a great extra innings guy, for instance. 
Um, but basically the only difference between Simber this year and last year is that he's given up a couple home runs. Uh, and last year he really didn't. And I'm, I'm not convinced that that means anything. That's sort of a randomness of the universe thing. In my view, David Phelps, uh, interesting guy to ask about this particular second. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it Uh pinpoint control? Um, yeah, a couple of days ago, I might have I might have had a much higher I might have said like a seven for Phelps, but he's uh, he's firmly in the like five camp at this point. I mean, you don't what what are we, what are we doing with David Phelps? And it's a shame too. It's like he him and I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Garcia or maybe not because he's on the the IL, but you know they they just they sort of have showed up without the swing and miss that uh, that they had, and they you know it was sort of a modest amount uh, to begin with, and now it's it's an even more modest amount, and I, I don't care for that, but also. Um, I'm still scarred from that performance against Boston. Yeah, I'll I'll hit you with a five as well. And a lot <laughs> of his um a lot of his sort of season long numbers would have you believe that he's doing well, like the ERA 334, expected ERA 354, FIP 279. Like that should tell you, okay, this pitcher is really effective and he's someone yeah. you can trust, especially with him being such a veteran who's sort of seen and done it all. He also hasn't given up a home run all year, and I just don't trust that. Like, if this is the Phelps who has never given up a home run, like, this is the best no regression to the mean Phelps, then, yeah, uh, he's kind of a sixth inning at best guy for me right now. Which is sort of how they're using him. I mean, except when they have nobody else. All right. Well, the man of the hour, Matt Gage. Matt Gage? I mean, he's like a solid seven, I think, for me. I, I, I I like Matt Gage. I, I I feel good, but maybe it's just because I haven't seen him <laughs> completely lose the plot like I have everybody else. Uh, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. But as we were saying with Jonathan's question, you know, like, uh, I do think there could be more swing and miss in there. And it does sort of just, you know, he's got some big outs. He's given up some runs, but he's been he's been real decent. And this, this is just a pathetic, you know, statement on the state of the Blue Jays bullpen that I would feel that good about Matt Gage. But uh, but I kind of do. Yeah, I'll take it down a notch, 6.5. I think one of the things about this exercise that we're learning is that we probably don't feel as badly about, you know, we, and we just kind of shit on David Phelps a little bit there, but we don't feel as badly about this group as they've performed. And I'm not, that's not to say that, you know, upgrades aren't needed or it hasn't been a bad stretch or anyone who feels frustrated shouldn't feel frustrated. But it is interesting sort of going through and you actually examine them one by one. Like, who do I actually have strong negative feelings about? It's not that many of these guys. And I think that speaks to the idea that most of these guys can do better than they've done so far. I, I also I also think that the, the whole is worse than the sum of its parts, right? Because, I mean, every, you know, you have to thread that needle where, every, you know, the, where it's you're not on the wrong side of the uh, of the confidence ledger for like four guys, right? Like, I mean... You, I, I have I have a seven confidence in Phelps and Gage and Romano and Mesa, but uh, but you know you can't you, you can't flip you can't flip a coin and get heads every time. Yeah, you're gonna need you know three to four of these guys a night, especially some yeah. of them aren't available like half you, today. And you, you, you have, have to be like, lucky all the time. We only have to be lucky once, kind of a thing. Yeah, and you have the context thing, like we mentioned, with a lot of these guys failing to miss bats. That changes the equation, especially. I know extra innings hasn't been a huge factor for the Blue Jays this season. It hasn't come up as much as it might have. But uh, realistically, this type of bullpen is exactly the type of bullpen that is a bit of a nightmare in those scenarios. And I'm surprised the Blue Jays haven't actually done worse, to be honest. 
Um, okay, moving on from Gage is another guy you haven't seen unravel as a Blue Jay, which is Sergio Romo. <laughs> uh, well, I've seen his numbers from Seattle. Um, love him as a dude. Seems like a real fun guy. Uh, always been interesting. Always been uh, <laughs> sort, of, sort of like, you know, even going back to the Giants days, like, man. Glad that's not the reliever I'm calling on at this part, you know, in this, at this part of the game. But he's been effective, and he can probably still be effective. I'm sure he can be effective from time to time. It's just how consistently he can be. Uh, if this were 2019, I'd be very curious to see how it goes. But uh, as it were, the, the, the stakes are considerably higher. And, uh, and my confidence until I see something to prove otherwise is like a three or a four, maybe at best. Yeah, I was going to give him a hard four, and that yeah. you know that feels kind of generous. Brutal numbers this season. It hasn't been good since 2019. Like you said, seems like a fun guy. He seemed really enamored with Bo's hair, um, which is interesting when he's interviewed today. Um, he, yeah, he, he's he's always been a guy who kind of lives on the edge of a knife, even when he's good. He's, he provided an incredibly memorable moment in that World Series when he locked up Miguel Cabrera at that fastball to win it. That's actually one of, yeah, probably one of the most memorable pitches I can envision uh, watching in the playoffs. That's not enough to make me think he'll be good today. It is, a, it is an even year, though. Even year. It is an even year for Sergio, <laughs> eight years later, or ten years. Uh, Trent Thornton, he of the 96-mile-an-hour fastball today. I mean, I guess that's a five. Like, I don't, I don't have any confidence in Trent Thornton, but I know that that's absurd. Like, I know that it's not as bad as I feel, and he's had a nice little run. Um, I think Joe Siddle said it on the the broadcast the other day. You know, he had he had he found a nice little home there, pitching in low leverage spots, like sort of trying to help keep games close, not being asked to do anything like get outs that matter. Uh, but just go and do your little thing while we try to sort out how to score some runs here and, and don't let us, you know, don't let the game get too far away. I don't, I don't hate Trent Thornton in that role. When he starts popping up in the seventh inning with a two-run lead, obviously that's a different story. And, uh, and I don't like it. I don't feel good about it. Uh, but I know that it's not as, like, much a disaster waiting to happen as, uh, as that big screaming part of my brain says so that's why i'm just gonna give him a five i'm just gonna split the difference i'll i'll give him a five five i'll bump him up a half because like you said he has been on a decent little run him throwing harder there, there is a bit of a trend there as looking at it during the game like his last start his last outings have been his two hardest throwing and then this one so i think it's three in a row that he's thrown harder than before obviously that didn't do him any good on tuesday um, but I'm, I want to see where that goes. He's changed his pitch mix, mix a little bit this season. Not a star, not a, a high leverage guy, but maybe a useful component. Um, and we will finish off with Max Castillo. Tough uh, very, very intrigued. I mean, that, that, the, 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 the debut was not great, obviously, giving up a couple home runs. Um, the other appearance was pretty good. They seem to be uh, holding him back because they think they're going to need some length. Uh, they probably, I assume they, were, they, they had him ready to go for uh, whatever was going to happen to Kikuchi tonight. Uh, so he's now sort of safe from there. It sounded like they don't want to have him start one of the games on Saturday, uh, which I think people thought might be a possibility. I think Pete Walker said that 
you know, he, uh, they don't want to throw him into the fire quite like that just yet, which I think is fine. I think he was like, maybe we'll have a pitch with a lead, which I'm, I'm okay with. I haven't given you a number yet. Uh, it's, it's like a six. It's like kind of, you know, it's like Sergio Romo, but I'm a little more hopeful. I'm like, uh, you know, I haven't seen it. I don't really, I don't really have any good reason to believe or not believe in it. So I'm going, I'm going a little higher. I'm going with the six. I'll, I'll go five, five. Him and Thornton are kind of in a similar bucket for me. I'd be intrigued to see him follow an opener um, in a scenario like Saturday's. Like, I know they want to pitch him with a lead or whatever to see how that goes. I don't know if I believe the psychological weight of that is as significant a test as they seem to believe. Um, you know, he's been in baseball for a while at this point. But I wouldn't mind, you know, Sergio Romo was uh, one of the pioneers of the opener yeah. back yeah. in 2018. So I wouldn't mind seeing that combo team up. Uh, for an outing at some point, if you know what, why the hell not? Really, yeah, I'm fine with that. And the good thing about Romo as an opener is that he's a different look to anyone you're going to bring in after him. And uh, also, you don't you, now you can't use him in leverage later in the game. Also important. Yeah, I mean, so I, like I said before, I think that the purpose of that exercise is to show that. It is a bad situation, but maybe it's worth taking a step back and thinking that thinking about the fact that there's still a couple of guys in here that are not complete trash, even if they've looked like it at times this season. There is a long way to go to improve this group. It will be costly to do at the deadline. I think you and I both agree it's a cost worth um, taking because yeah. you, know, you just can't. You know, thinking of a three-game wild card series. This is just not a group you can bring to that battle. No, and this is not. You can't. You can't go into fucking December and being like, "Man, would have been a great year if not for you know how Sergio Romo pitched in the playoffs for us." Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that can't, that can't happen. That cannot be the thing that happens. They have to do better. They have to pay the premium the context of what happened last year, right? Like it wasn't the bullpen that failed them down the stretch necessarily, but because the the specter of them being out by one game and everyone who watched that team being cognizant of the fact that this bullpen cost them well over one game over the course of the season, um, it, at a certain point it becomes a pattern, right? Like if you said, okay, in 2021, we're not willing to divert that amount of resources to the bullpen, whether it's prospect capital or free agent dollars, I understand the logic behind that. I understand why smart front offices are sometimes reticent to spend money on bullpens or, uh, you know, give up good prospects for relievers. But if you see your team go down in flames uh, as a result of not having enough relief talent in one year, you can't just go out the next year and watch the same thing happen. No, you're right. Though I, I mean, I think the thing is, you know, they need innings and they've needed innings for a while. They've been so deficient with the, the starting depth and, uh, and you know, the guys, everything they've tried there has not, has not worked. I wrote about this in my mailbag about how their, their development is, you know, gave, gave them a bit of a pass. So shock. I'm sure people will be shocked. I gave them a bit of a pass on some of that stuff um, because it is a big process and it is, you know, the real, real overhaul that they've done, but yeah, you're not, uh, you know why Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay and Trent Thornton, like these guys, are not uh, are not are not helpful. And if any of those guys had sort of stepped up and become even like you know even like reliable fives or or God forbid a four, 
that maybe you don't have to go out and spend the same kind of money on the free agent market that would allow you the opportunity to go and you know not do this with the bullpen. So I, 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 there's logic to it, but it is extremely frustrating why uh, they haven't figured it out and haven't done better. But I mean, but when it comes down to it, it's like, would you rather Kevin Gossman or like or like two relievers? It's like, well, I, I guess I get why I do prefer Gossman, but but. It does. It 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 does kill you, and it is. It is like just in the in terms of like the emotional arc of a baseball game, and it's just it it, it just leaves you open for so many gut punches, which is not what you like. I'd rather I'd, ra- I'd rather know the game's over in the third inning than than sit for four hours and then be like, oh, that happened again. Yeah, and they they made quite a few trades when they were kind of pulling this team down to the studs for those type of guys for. Kay and Hatch and Thornton and you know some of the you know the Thomas Pinnell yeah. like Kyle yeah. Johnston is still kicking around AAA from that Bowden Francis Bowden yeah. Francis and ju- they just got you know Brian Baker he ended up finding uh, success elsewhere but they ended up making trades for all these guys and to be fair they didn't have the best trade chips and we don't need to relitigate that whole gruesome rebuild and they got you know even getting Teoscar Hernandez out of it probably makes it all worthwhile probably but yeah. they did acquire you know from a quantity perspective that a lot of arms and they just the hit rate on those arms was not good and it, it is continuing to hurt them because i think that they probably believed that they were going to have this cohort of pitchers that would be hopefully filling out the bottom end of the rotation and failing that making meaningful contributions to the bullpen and you know, yeah, like you said, Panones, the Waggisbacks of the world. Like, we don't have to play name some guys, but, but he, I mean, even I mean, but, but if we are, I mean, even even Nate Pearson, even Julian Merriweather, you know, were on the starting pitching track, and you know, maybe Nate is still, but I doubt it. Uh, and then also, you get into the situation where, like, you have a Simeon Woods Richardson, where uh, that could have been a guy who you think about. I'm not even look. I haven't looked at his AAA numbers this year. I think that's where he is, but like. But then you needed to go move guys to get the guy that you need. And there's, you know, Zach Logue and uh, Josh Winkowski's pitched in the big leagues. There's about, you know, there's guys who've, you know, not good, but uh, but that have started to have to get moved out. And some of that is a numbers game and asset management with the options and with the, the rule five and, and all of that stuff. Uh, there's only so many 40 man spots. Sean Reed Foley's another name, but uh, it's uh it, it, it's interesting how they have not hit very well on that. It seems like they're getting better. Uh, in the mailbag question, in the, the piece that I did the, the, here today, uh, I noted that if you look at the front office directory from 2018, if you look at go and look at the Wayback Machine, I counted like under the same, you know, I sort of ballparked it myself, but under the same sort of branches that you would see as like player development, high performance, baseball ops in 2018 to to today. There's a growth from like from like 40 employees to about 75 or something like that, and that's partly the player development complex. That's partly just you know the the, the apparatus has has you know grown and grown, and and that's you know I, the the Rome wasn't built in a day kind of a thing. Um, but I don't know if that's a great excuse for why you know the fruits of 20 of of that rebuild of 2016, 17, 18 in particular, because you know you got Alfano in 19 and, and 2020 is still pretty close. Uh, why that did not go as well as it uh, as it really should have. And I think it's a good reminder 
uh, to fans, when you hear about young pitchers coming up, we always hear phrases like relief risk, or if a guy, if he's not going to be a, a starter, he'll contribute to the bullpen. And we made that assumption about a lot of these guys. It's like, okay, you know, we tried Thomas Pannone as a starter, but he's left-handed and he could make a contribution of the bullpen. And Trent Thornton, well, <laughs> I think Pannone's with the KT Wiz now or something like that. He just went to yeah, Korea. Just signed. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and Trent Thornton, it was always like, well, he will try him as a starter, and if not, he'll be a multi-inning bullpen weapon. Like you know, this is the type of terminology we hear around these players all the time, and because we have this assumption, oh well, if the starter thing doesn't work, we pare down the repertoire, we get rid of that changeup that's not great, they throw two miles an hour harder, and all of a sudden you've got a great bullpen. And what the last couple of years for the Blue Jays has shown is it's just simply not that easy, and. I'm not sure anyone ever thought it was, but it is easy to kind of fall down the rabbit hole believing that any starter who doesn't quite pan out has a chance to be, if not like Nate Pearson, like in terms of the stuff out of the bullpen, but someone who can make a meaningful contribution. And then next thing you know, you're signing Sergio Romo in 2022. (laughs) Yikes. Um, one thing I want to get to in terms of the bullpen, which is more what's going on in Tampa's bullpen, is that prior to the season, we heard a lot about the quote-unquote home field advantage the Blue Jays would have due to the vaccination laws. Uh, a lot of people quibbled with that terminology. I don't know what terminology you'd prefer, Stoughton, in terms of how we want to phrase it. But it's actually seemingly coming through in this important stretch for the Blue Jays. You know, it, it, it played a huge role in them beating the Red Sox in that comeback. We know that Tanner Houck is a really good pitcher. I'm not saying there's a guarantee he would have shut down that comeback, but the Red Sox sure as hell could have used him in that game, which ends up being sort of the deciding game in the series. And now the Rays come into this five-game series. So in a five-game series, you're going to need a, a lot of bullpen help. And they don't have Brooks Raley, who's been fantastic this season. And they don't have Ryan Thompson either. And it's going to be very hard to quantify exactly what's that wor- what's, what that's worth. And if it's worth a game, that would be surprising, to be honest. But it might be worth a run or two. And you never know what a run or two is going to do. And, yeah, it's funny because earlier in the season, prior to the season, we thought, oh, maybe Aaron Judge isn't going to come. And maybe there are going to be some teams that are going to be missing, you know, six guys. And the Blue Jays are going to have this incredible um, advantage. And it hasn't quite played out like that. But this is the first moment where suddenly it seems like it's a bit of a difference maker. <laughs> yeah, it turns out uh, having really good relievers is uh, is helpful. I mean, Brooks Raley is obviously a shitbag, but... Uh... Uh, but he's really no good. Said good guys. No, 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 no. And and I mean, and he's a guy who I, before I completely forgot what I wrote about him, but I, I forgot that he took the fucking pride rainbow off his, his uniform as one of those those fucking morons uh, because he was a guy you know who and before we learned about the vaccine status, like that that's a that's a signing. I think it was like two years, ten million, or, and, and an option or something like that. It was like that for a guy who the Rays kind of fixed and, and you know was was great against lefties. You know, he's a left-handed pitcher that struggled against right-handed hitters, and uh, uh, and suddenly they kind of got him working. And it's like that's the kind of move the Blue Jays need to be making. And of course, they couldn't have made that move, uh, and thankfully they didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that that just sort of speaks right to our previous conversation. But yeah, the, as far as the advantage thing, I mean. 
I always, I think it's important to be careful and confident and, and clear that, like I say, you know, the Blue Jays obviously all off season had to deal with a huge disadvantage of not having the same player pool available to them as other teams and having to trade away certain guys on their team. You know, we saw Kirby Sneed and somebody else, I think, didn't come when Oakland was in earlier in the year who'd been here. And, and, and you know, and so framing it as a, a competitive advantage for the Jays is, uh, I, I would quibble with, but, uh, uh, so, I, so I'm not bothered by the fact that the the Red Sox uh, and their stupid closer uh, ended up costing them a game. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's fun to watch it sort of play out that way. I mean, keep doing your own research, Tanner. I mean, let me give you a very roundabout explanation about why this can be a competitive advantage. Being iced out of these players who are not vaccinated makes you less likely to sign players who are dirtbags, as we saw <laughs> with the crossover between Rayleigh and Thompson being the same guys who refused yeah. to put the pride icon on their um, hats, I believe it was. Yeah, maybe jerseys. Irrelevant which piece of clothing it was. It was still an incredibly shitty thing to do on their part. So, you know, the Blue Jays clubhouse has a lot of good vibes going on. So, that, again, you talked about kind of tying – Montoya's hand behind his back by not having Romo late in the game if he's an opener. By not bringing these people aboard, maybe there's a chance you avoid disrupting the clubhouse because you're less likely to bring in people who are more likely to be shitty. That's Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't want to... Uh... I think we got to be careful with worrying that there are, you know, that there aren't already shitty people there. I mean, this is professional oh, yeah, baseball. I mean... <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the point taken. Yeah, baseball clubhouses are full of people who don't hold the same views as you is a very sanitized way of explaining that situation. <laughs> yeah. You mean the millionaire from Florida doesn't feel the same way as I do about certain things? Yeah. Yeah, shocker. Um, before we get out of here, uh, which we will do soon, I did want to acknowledge another sort of test passed for Rob Stripling. Like we talked a lot about the pitching. Right. And uh, the rotation and, you know, Kikuchi looking good. You know, Gosman's last start, we talked about it at length, was fantastic. And, you know, the Red Sox lineup is no joke. And Ross Stripling produced another really strong outing. And, yeah, for him, you're really looking for, you know, you're hoping for five innings and two or fewer runs. And that's exactly what he did. And that's what he's been doing consistently for a while now. There were some tweets out there about his June ERA being among the lowest in Blue Jays history. I don't remember the particulars of that. Uh, That included a relief outing as well as his starts. But even so, as a starter, the the ERA incredibly low right now. I don't know. A lot of the things I would say about Ross Stripling are similar to the things I said about Matt Gage in terms of it being a skill set you want to play out over a longer period of time. But we keep having this conversation and Stripling keeps giving us reasons to believe that he's going to be good going forward because he really hasn't had any stumbles in recent starts. No, he hasn't. No, and it's it's uh, it's been fun to watch. I mean, it's it's not exactly fun to watch because, you know, he's not overpowering. And, you know, the fastballs may be a little faster than people think or a little harder than people think. He's throwing 93 or something like that. Um, it's it's not Ryu territory or anything. It's not Romo territory. Um, but yeah, it's, I, you know, it, 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 it's subtle what he does, you know, and the way that he mixes it up and what he does differently. Um, but it's just any pitch and any count throws the, the change up to, to right-handed batters, which is always fun. Um, and the, the chase rate is such a weird thing where we were, we were talking about this last time, I think, right? Like it's a, like he's 93rd percentile or he was the last time I looked with, uh, I think it's probably gone down a little bit after the last one, but like, uh, 
you know, not getting a ton of swing and miss, but getting guys swinging at pitches outside of the zone, which is really interesting, especially because he throws a lot of fastballs in the zone. Um, and he, I wrote about this after the start. Like he, it, it's been different. Like the way that he pitched in Boston or against Boston earlier in the season, which was also a start, which he also did very well. And it was just a ton of elevated fastballs. And in this most recent one, uh, if the Red Sox were out there looking for elevated fastballs, they were just, they're not going to get it. They're going to like be swinging at changeups and trying to fight him off because that's, uh, uh, he just sort of approached it differently, approached them differently with two strikes, approached them differently at, that, uh, you know, that, that, Oh, you know, first pitch of the at bat, uh, and mix it up, and then you know you just never know. It's hard, I think, to key in on on a particular pitch or a particular zone with him because he, he just keeps you on your toes and uh, out of necessity because the stuff is just not that great. But uh, as long as he can keep doing that and stay, you know, ahead of the hitters and with his adjustments and with his game plan and uh, do the things he's doing, like like for example watching the, the horizontal and vertical movement on the scoreboards at the Rogers Center, which is something that I think he's doing uh, just to, you know, make sure he's spinning the, the, the slider the way that he wants to or whether everything's working the way that he wants. Um, more power to him. I think that's, I, I think that's really interesting and, and uh, you know, just to, to follow, frankly, as, as somebody who gets his nose into the stupid uh, stack cast data. But, you know, how and why it's working is a question that's maybe a little above my pay grade. Yeah, I mean, that chase rate is interesting because you associate chase rate with some kind of dramatic movement, like something looks like it's in the zone and then suddenly it's not. Like think about Kevin Gosman's splitter when it's on. It kind of falls off the table yeah. and that gets people to chase. And he doesn't really have a pitch like that. You know, his changeup has decent movement, maybe a little bit above average. But it's nothing. It's nothing like that. And like you said, he, he's keeping people guessing. I don't know if he's someone you'd want to, you know, start against the same team twice in a playoff series. But I don't think anyone is going to ask him to do that. And it it is kind of fun to watch in its own way. You know, sometimes it is more fun to have someone you can sort of think along with, as opposed to sort of a big bruiser who's going to blow uh, hitters away. Although that can be fun in its own way as well. Yeah, it's getting to the point where you, it's hard to bet against him, but it's also a little bit hard. It's always going to be a little bit hard to bet on him. So from this, yeah, for the Stripling's perspective, you just kind of have to ride it out. And riding it out, uh, you know, that's a better place to be, riding out a streak of success with him than where they've <laughs> been with a lot of their starters this year, including the guy who went tonight. And also, I mean, you got to ride it out because, uh, I mean, no Max, yeah, Max Castillo, Thomas Hatch, Trent Thornton, not inspiring options behind uh, Stripling, who, as I also said in the mailbag, not that I keep want to keep pumping that. Guys, read this mailbag. <laughs> but uh, Stripling, like, legitimately, I mean, we were being hopeful, wishful thinking on Nate Pearson, but, like, legitimately, he was, like, the number number seven starter coming into the year. So, like, there is a little bit of depth that just uh, – Two of the two of the options in front of him have been uh, dispatched to uh, to the wilderness. Yes, it has been the depth that has existed has been sorely tested. Yes, um, we will leave it here for tonight. We appreciate you guys listening in live. People who are listening in after the fact. Prelimi preliminarily, that's a bit of a difficult word to say live. Um, the plan is for, for us to be back next Thursday, but these plans can change, but that's when we expect we will talk to you again. And, uh, we appreciate everyone listening in. All right. That's it. Thanks everybody.